Uh, 12 hours and counting, probably over 12 hours. 328,084 feet. 97,027 steps, roughly. And again, roughly 10,605 calories burned. Nine excruciating blisters. That's actually just a guess. I'm sharing all of those figures with you, including stiff, aching, sore muscles and a recovery period that's going to probably last most of today, probably tomorrow, maybe even the next day after that, um, because of these guys, or a couple of these guys at least. A couple of these gentlemen that you see up there on the screen, some friends of mine, friends with a few of the rest of us here in the room, they were running a race this weekend, and uh, they invited me to run that race with them several times, actually, over the last year. Uh, they kept asking me. Uh, they kept asking me to commit to this race. Um, it was a 100-kilometer race. Actually, you could also do 100 miles if you wanted to, uh, this race that was being put on. Uh, it's supposed to be at Brazos Bend State Park. They moved it because of weather and different things like that. But uh, these guys, they've been training for months, some of them for the entire last year for this race. 100 kilometers, did you know? 100 kilometers, that would be like going across the Golden Gate Bridge 36 times. Or running the raceway of the Daytona International Speedway 25 times. Or again, 25 times traversing the entire length of Central Park in New York City. So when these guys asked me, do I want to run a 100-kilometer race? I said I was interested. And when they came and they came again and again and they asked, hey, you going to come out there with us? Are you committed yet? Oh, I tend to be a little non-committal. And so... I said, yeah, well, I'll think about it, right? I'll procrastinate until uh, the very end, see how I'm feeling a little bit closer. Now, full disclosure, full honestly, I, I, I was not ready to commit to 100 kilometers. Not this year, anyway. But I have a, a ton of respect for those gentlemen who spent all day yesterday into the night, into the hours of this morning, continuing to push. I, I have huge respect for the mental and physical training that they went through to get themselves prepared, and even more respect for the menta, mental and emotional and physical suffering and, that they pushed through, that they endured. But I just wasn't ready to commit. And today as we begin our race, our race with Jesus, our race with the gospel of Mark, this race to the cross, 
you're asked to commit. You know, we're going to go through the entire book of Mark, and even though it's the shortest of these Gospels that these men set out to write to tell about the life and work of Jesus of Nazareth, even though it's the shortest, it's still going to take us 11 weeks. We're going to go through two entire church seasons, the season of Epiphany and the season of Lent. And if you know anything about those church seasons, then you know that there's extra services, right? There are midweek services. There's more than just Sunday morning. That's a commitment. You're asked to to commit to this race with Jesus. Because it's a race to which Jesus calls each and every one of us, this race to the cross. And, And I pray, I pray that all of you whether you're here with us this morning in person, whether you're, you're online this morning, whether you're, you're catching up on the podcast or the, the YouTube video afterwards, I pray that every single one of you is with us for every single step of this race because this is good news. Really good news. And that's exactly how Mark starts. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, he says, the beginning of the good news. That's what Mark sets out to write. He wants to write good news. And we're going to see that he is, he is fast, fast flying. He is fast paced as he writes this account. But he writes this good news about how those on the outside get in. How those who have turned away are welcomed back into God's family. How those who feel like they're outcast and, and they're out, unloved, that, that they find love, they find community. He's going to write about how sinners might become saints. Good news. And Mark knew that himself. Uh, this Mark who wrote this gospel account this narrative of Jesus' life. Uh, We know him as also John Mark. John was probably his Hebrew name and Mark his Latin name. Uh, John Mark, he's a cousin of Barnabas, who was a very early church leader, a church planter. And this John Mark came into very close contact with Peter, who was a dear friend, an eyewitness of Jesus' life. And so it seems that Mark, he composed this gospel that he writes from the sermons and the messages that Peter spoke. And I personally believe that God moved Mark to write this, that it is God's own inspired, inerrant word that is for you and for your benefit. But I also believe that Mark, he had a purpose There was a reason that he set out to write this. And you can see by the way that he organizes his content, by the way he takes these sermons and these messages from Peter and he he puts them down on paper, and the way he prepares it, the way he speaks it, you can tell that he is writing to an audience. His first audience is an audience that was not Jewish. They're likely Romans. And as he begins, he writes differently than Matthew or Luke or John. 
He clearly wants to show Jesus in action, to show Jesus in might and, and power. He wants to demonstrate that Jesus was more than just some fad or a congenial carpenter that everybody liked, or this Jewish political figure who met an unsavory end. No, he writes to identify who Jesus is. The very Son of God. And so Mark begins his gospel with immediate identification. He writes the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This immediate identification of who Jesus is. And so Mark tells us that we are lined up at the start of something fascinating, something incredible and amazing. And throughout these pages, he's going to unfold more and more details about who this is. But immediately he identifies him. The Messiah. That was a term that would have had huge implications for anybody who was Jewish. They would have known that that's referring to the one that God had promised for so many years, the one who was to come and save his people. But even for a non-Jewish person, they would understand that this term, Messiah, Christ, that it refers to somebody who is anointed. They are chosen for a specific task and role. And that's why Mark immediately identifies Jesus as the Son of God. And that identification continues as Mark then talks about John the Baptist and the work that John came to do. And so John the Baptist appeared in his wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark also immediately identifies our greatest need. He identifies that our greatest need is forgiveness because he identifies us. He identifies us as sinners. That in our own actions, we have fallen far short of the grand glory and majesty of the God who is the ruler over this entire universe. And we need that sinfulness. We need it cleansed. We need it washed away. And so John the Baptist, he identified baptism, this ceremonial washing, as a means for forgiveness. And it's a means for forgiveness still for us today. And we hear that as John worked, the whole Judean countryside, that all the people of Jerusalem came out to him. And of all the things that John would have said to those people, of all the things that he would have proclaimed to him, this is what Mark focuses in on. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie John also identified someone greater. Someone for whom he was not even felt worthy to do the most menial task that would have been reserved for the lowest of slaves because this person was that much greater, that far above. 
I really appreciated how Eugene Peterson put it in his paraphrase called The Message. Uh, This is what he said that John preached. He said, The real action comes next. The star in this drama, to whom I'm a mere stagehand, will change your life. John was the forerunner. Running a race, there's the runner who goes before, right? Who sets the pace, who breaks the wind, who takes the lead so that his teammate then can finish the race strong and for the win. And Jesus was the one who would finish the race strong, finish the race for the win and for us. And then Mark quickly moves into both the baptism and the temptation of Jesus. These are monumental theological moments. And Mark covers them very quickly. He's moving fast. But even as he does so, he highlights how Jesus is identified in both of those moments. Jesus was identified by the Spirit's descent and the Father's voice from the heavens. You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And then immediately, Jesus is identified by Satan as one to attack. One to take down and overcome, and yet Jesus overcomes the temptation. And from that moment, the race was on. Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said, it was focused on getting to the finish line. It was focused on his race to the cross. It was focused on you and I. Which is why Jesus himself highlights that in his own preaching. And so as Mark tells us that Jesus came preaching, Jesus preaching brought immediate invitation. Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And that, dear friends, that is the real invitation to you and to me to commit. To commit to this race to the cross with Jesus. To commit to Jesus. It's a call and an invitation to every single one of us, no matter who you are. Jesus is calling you. No matter whether you are wealthy or poor, whether you are old or young, whether you are a child or an adult, whether you are a man or a woman, whether you are weak or powerful, whether you are religious or not, Jesus calls you with this invitation. Because he says that you, you have been identified, you are a sinner. And so am I. But you are a sinner that Jesus wants to make a saint. You are a skeptic that Jesus calls to believe this good news. You 
are someone who has become an outsider, but Jesus wants to bring you in to the family of God. And if you feel like you are an outcast, or you feel like you are, are unloved, then, then know that you are dearly loved by Jesus. Because Jesus, when he announces that the kingdom of God is near, he is saying to you that he is willing to run this race for you. To run this race and everything that it entails, he is willing to run it all the way to the cross for you. So here his invitation. His immediate invitation, first of all, to the kingdom. This is the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. It's a kingdom for those who hold to Jesus by faith, and it's a kingdom that lasts forever. It's the kingdom that God promised way back in the beginning, ever since Adam and Eve revolted against God's rule over their hearts and their lives. They chose to be their own kings and queens. And so it's really important for us to understand that as Jesus invites us into this kingdom, it is a kingdom. And you and I, we are not the king. We are not the queen. That's hard for us, isn't it? To, to let go, rule over our lives, to let go of control. So often we desire that control and so we too, we revolt against God's rule over our hearts and over our lives even though God tells us so much. He wants to bless us. He wants to carry us through. He has so many good things in store for us when we allow him to be king over our lives. It's a challenge. Even in this kingdom where God tells us, he makes it explicitly clear how much he cares for us, how much he loves us so hard. Which is why Jesus also gives us an invitation to repentance. He calls to you and says, repent. Repentance means to change your mind, to change the way you're thinking, to change your heart. And so Jesus calls you to, to change your mind about all the places in your life where you want to, to maintain control. You don't want to give that up to God where you want to go your own way. But he also calls you to change your mind, change your way of thinking about God himself. So that you recognize and you know that God he wants to treat you with love, not condemnation. That God wants to draw near to you, not stand far off and distant. That God wants to bring grace and compassion, not wrath and punishment. Well, yes, he, he still remains a just God and a holy God, which is why we need this good news from Mark. We need this good news of what Jesus was willing to do, this good news of the forgiveness that Jesus brings. And when we have that good news, then Jesus calls us to change our mind, change our thinking in the way that we live in response, motivated by that good news and changed by it to live a new life. 
And finally, Jesus invites you to believe that good news. Mark said this was only the beginning. There was so much more that he was going to share, so many more details that he's going to unfold throughout the pages of this narrative that he writes, this story that he tells, this true story of Jesus and his life. So much more that's come. He, he hooks us in like a good storyteller would so that we keep watching and we keep listening and we keep hearing and we keep studying and examining who this Jesus of Nazareth truly is and what he has done for us. But spoiler alert, Jesus is going to give his whole life for you. Fully and completely on that cross. He, he's going to give it up in your place. He's going to die for you so that you can be forgiven. So that you can have the utmost confidence that there is a place in heaven with your name on it because of this Jesus. And so, dear friends, I I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be like those very first sinners whom Jesus meets, those very first sinners to whom Mark introduces us. The one he knew so well, Simon, Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John. They're real people just like you. They had their own lives, employment, families, people who who counted on them, people they cared about, people they loved. And Jesus came up to them and he said, leave it and follow me. And immediately, they did. They answered his call. They committed to running this race with Jesus. And so I want to challenge you also to commit to running the race with Jesus. But the the very best thing about this race is that Jesus, he's already run it. And he's already won. The victory, it's already there. Heaven is yours. And yet, we get to run this race together with Jesus. And that's the the very best reason to commit to Jesus because Jesus committed to you. He committed to facing temptation in human weakness, a temptation that Satan would lash against him. He committed to being despised by the leaders and the rulers of his day even though he was the ruler of all. He committed to the lashes that would strike against his back and tear the flesh away. He committed to the fist that would meet his face. He committed to the crown of thorns that would be crushed into his skull. He committed to three nails, two beams, one hill, one cross, one lonely grave that would become empty in victory. He committed, more than all of that, he committed to feeling the just punishment of God over the wrath of all sins, to running to that cross so that you and I, we could run to our Heavenly Father with joy out of faith in Jesus. 
He committed to that so that you knew that you're a member of his kingdom. He committed to finishing the race that he started. And so this is his race, and through the pages of Mark's gospel, we're going we're gonna to run along together with Jesus, and we're going to see all that he was willing to commit to for you and I, and we're going to celebrate it with joy. And so if you're ready, if you're ready to run this race with Jesus with me, will you give me a great big amen? Are you ready to run the race with Jesus? Amen? Amen. Oh, good. I was nervous there for a second. None of you are going to say it. You know, leave me up here hanging. Come on now. Can you say that a little bit louder? Amen? Amen. There we go.